Work shouldn't feel like a drag. And you shouldn't have to sacrifice your soul for a job you love. Determined to rethink the future of work. She's out of her depth on purpose. With fresh ideas, interviews, and stories from her life on the road. Meet Europe's newest digital nomad, Blair Palmer. Hello and welcome to a brilliant gamble episode 90. I hope you are really well. Six months ago, almost to the day, we set off on our big trip. Can't believe it, six months. And in about three weeks, that trip comes to an end. Our intention was to shed the constraints of everyday life by selling our house and buying a camper van and living on the road in Airbnbs and in the van all around Europe to see what we really valued and of course to see what lay beyond our backyard. I learnt that you take yourself with you and that any work you need to do on yourself will follow you around wherever you go. And it did. It followed me to Italy, Croatia, France, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Slovenia and much of the UK. We had our minds blown by the Alps and Snowdonia. We felt the spirit of the Romans in the Colosseum. We ate cheese, a lot of cheese, and marvelled at the Eiffel Tower in France. We got bitten by mosquitoes pretty much everywhere we went and we were hosted by a whole range of wonderful and sometimes weird Airbnb owners, all trying to live their own dreams. When we return from Ireland, which is our final destination, we'll be moving into our new home, a two and a half acre small holding in Somerset. For those of you who've been following this podcast for a long time, this won't be a surprise. I've been talking about this for a long, long time, but I couldn't work out how to make it happen. Our trip showed me that money isn't as much of a barrier to doing stuff, to living your dreams than we think, and that time is a state of mind. So we are embarking on our next brilliant gamble. A small holding where we hope to live lighter on the planet, be closer to nature, grow more of our own food and raise our own animals. I am, of course, very curious to see whether the lessons I've learned over this last six months stick. We shall see. But for now, my primary concerns are practical. It's to do with fencing and overgrown fields and getting hold of a juicer, quick smart, so we can do something with all the apples in the orchard as soon as possible. And it was with this in mind that I asked our host in our lovely Airbnb near Glastonbury this week to be my guest on the show. She runs a small holding of a similar scale and has made a great success out of it. Libby Seidel left her job in social services four years ago to grow her small holding from a small chicken business to a variety of different activities today, sheep, pigs and more chickens, plus a lot of experimentation in between. We sat together in her living room and talked about her journey and what I should keep in mind as we embark on our next brilliant gamble. If living off the land has been a dream of yours, you'll love this conversation. We really get into the nitty gritty and whatever brilliant gambles you're embarking on or already undertaking, you'll enjoy Libby's down to earth, realistic and yet lighthearted attitude. Let's go to the show. Libby, I'm so pleased that you've agreed to talk to me today because I know that you're quite busy as a person. I, well, I'm honoured to be asked. So thank you very much, Blair. Yeah, no, no, busy, but not not too busy to uh, share my experience with other people. So brilliant. Well, look, let's let's go back because you have a small holding now, and that's I mean that's really what I want to talk to you about because obviously we're about to embark on our small holding adventure, and I just need as much help as I can get. Um, but. Uh, you haven't always done this. That's you, right. you had a no. proper job before. I did. I did, I did, I did. So um, straight out from sort of uh, university, worked for Clarks, uh, doing project management, which I really enjoyed. Then uh, very soon after, had my first son. And then really sort of embarked on a journey of uh, working with young people and uh, very much a sort of social services sort of feel to it. So looking after children who've been in foster care, um, children who were at risk um, of being in foster care um, and then working with children in care and so really it was probably the first I don't know maybe 15 years of my working life was spent doing that 
and then kind of had a bit of a burnout um, after working in a children's residential home for quite a while and then decided that I'd work with adults with learning disabilities and then found out that in fact baby number four was on the way so that's probably that was my kind of moment where everything changed I think yeah 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 and that kind of work I mean it must be very rewarding but also as you say the 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 toll on you personally must have been quite great yes I mean it's you by which point I had three children myself um and when you're working in a children's unit it's a very uh bizarre dynamic in that you're kind of parents with two other people you're almost kind of co-parenting with on that shift and you love and care for the children as much as you do your own but yet you're not starting with the same place uh, that you started with your own children these children have been hardwired through the experiences they've had to um make some interesting choices and and uh, have some interesting behaviors and things and and that can make things very difficult and um it's very difficult when you put so much in and it can feel that you're not making much progress but I always used to hold on to the idea that maybe in 10 years time something I'd said or something I did with them would resonate and they'd kind of go oh I get it now um and that's what you hold on to but yeah I think after a couple of years of that um it was time for a change yeah yeah so you already had at that point some chickens that's right. Yeah. Was it was it that that made you think? Well, maybe we could expand this. So we we had chickens. So we've lived um, in this house. So we live in a village in Somerset. We used to live in Glastonbury, which much very much in the town. Uh, we wanted to move more out to the countryside. Uh, it was quite a lively road we lived in. Um, there was always plenty going on. Uh, we had three growing children. We needed a bigger house, so we decided to move out to the countryside. Um, decided to do that sort of very Hugh Funny Whittingstall thing. Get some hens. Um, um, which we really loved and um, I've always had quite a business mind and realised there was a lot of people looking for hens um, we knew somewhere really great to get them who actually was rubbish at advertising so kind of saw a business opportunity there really and uh, we ran it very much as a hobby for a really long time we've been going 10 years now but for the first probably six years it was just a very sort of part-time thing um, and I suppose from that maybe the, the idea of the small holding grew I think. So what was the moment where you thought, I, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to start... I'm going to start this thing properly. This okay, well, uh, yeah, so baby number four was on the way. She was a bit of a surprise. Um, <laughs> but she's lovely. She's, she's lo- so gorgeous. She is gorgeous. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and I have to say, um, I was quite reticent about being pregnant for a fourth time. Um, it certainly wasn't planned. Um, and... I was at a stage where my youngest of my first three was going off to secondary school and and freedom was sort of within touching distance really and I felt kind of cross I'll be honest that actually I was kind of being plunged back into the land of nappies and toddler groups but um, I suppose you know when life gives you lemons and all that so um, very soon actually the, the idea grew on me that that you know obviously this this new little life was on its way and um my mum had helped a lot with childcare with um, our first two children her life was changing and she wasn't going to be around so much to support us um I also worked in a very physically demanding job and I think when I got to five months pregnant I just thought this is it I just can't do this anymore it's just too much for everybody me physically me emotionally as well as the children really um it was you know affecting my mum and that's when I decided that I was going to stop uh working for Somerset County Council and um really sort of embrace the chicken business and grow a small holding um and that's what we did and never look back so we're four and a half years down the line now and I've never regretted it that's amazing so oh just try to think of myself four and a half years down the line of hours and how different things are going to be to to the way things are now so you currently have you've got the chickens yeah and you can talk a bit about actually what the hen business is because there's eggs but there's other there's the other part isn't there? Yeah so the main thing we do is actually we sell hens to people who have hens in their gardens so um and probably the average amount of hens people buy is about four so generally people keep four to six hens we have some people who buy 50 some people who have two um and we give a lot of support to those people so uh, quite often they're quite nervous and they have lots of questions 
um, vets are not always brilliant at supporting people in those situations so it's something we sort of specialise in and the business has really really taken off it's just been so fantastic we do lots of shows and it's lovely because lots of existing customers come and see us and tell us how great um, their experiences have been we get so much repeat custom and um, I think we'll sell we should be on about 3,000 birds this year and we're looking to do 4,000 next year so it's growing almost exponentially really it's amazing and they're pretty fancy your chickens some of them so yeah the core of what we sell is the large hybrids which uh so they're you know real kind of solid laying birds everything from the typical red hen through to different colors but yeah you know they're hardcore laying hens and then we do some really kind of weird and wonderful uh things which has been quite a new thing this year we've uh, played with it a bit over year over the years never really managed to get the formula quite right always gone back to the large hybrids but i think now we we've made that breakthrough and um I just can't believe the market, particularly for the fancy stuff. It's, um, you know, having had years and years of selling, um, you know, typical boring brown hens, um, who were lovely, by the way, and they're really friendly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Um, to, to do the fancy stuff is quite fun. So. Yeah. yeah. So they've got you've got the hen business, which really, as you say, that's really growing and there's a huge yeah, demand. Very for much it. the core of us more holding and the core of my income, very yeah. much so. Yeah. And then what about, you've also got quite a few sheep. What's what's the model with the sheep? Okay, so uh, the interesting thing with the sheep, um, it's sometimes um, when you have a small holding, um, you have an animal in mind and then you look for the land. And sometimes you come across the land and then think of the right animal to go on it. And we were in a situation where the person opposite has beautiful home with two acres attached and I watch the uh, contractor come and mow the field uh, every six weeks, which seems like an enormous waste. So I suggested to them that they might quite like us to have some sheep on the land. Um, they actually agreed, uh, which I was quite surprised about. The first year was a nightmare. So we decided that the best way ahead, which never do this people, <laughs> is to... Um, do bottle fed lambs that was a big mistake because actually what um what sheep need is is mums going get your head out of that and stop playing with that fox and all that kind of thing <laughs> so that was a nightmare um it also was fenced really badly uh so the first year was a bit of a nightmare but but we went to uh the people who own the field um explained the situation they were really keen to keep us there and they were really enjoying kind of watching us uh do it all really so um they very kindly said well we will pay for the fencing for the field if you guys get it put in so um we sort of shared the the cost of that and it really changed um our experience of keeping sheep so we kept sheep for two years which was great um by this point the chicken business was growing quite a lot so we then had a year off um had sheep again this year unfortunately it was quite a tough year because we had a lot of rain at the beginning then it's been really really dry so um, we've actually dramatically reduced um the amount of sheep that we've been able to keep now going into the winter we've run out of grazing uh, which is a shame but obviously we've had the fruits of our labor which we've just had lots of lamb back which has been great yeah, and I, I um, so when I rang on your doorbell yesterday, you told me that I was about the 20th person who'd been. So there's a lot of demand, is there, for oh, huge, locally grown huge. lamb? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'll be honest, you know, we live in a very middle class village. Um, the uh, people um, really are quite aware, I think, of where their food comes from, are very much the sort of people who would shop in a farm shop. Um, and, people who like to support um, local businesses as well so it's just that sort of perfect dynamic really of, of what we need to be able to retail our meat so the way it works with our sheep is that generally we sell the bulk uh, for meat and then um, we have a little bit left over for ourselves and certainly the income we make from it is is uh, no great shakes but it pays for the meat we have um, pays for the costs of them all and we have a little bit left over um, but we enjoy doing it yeah I think that must be you know when I've tried to do some very rough maths about how we might make money from ours the my big hope is that they'll pay for themselves I mean that's basically it if they make any more money than that then that's a bonus but the the financials seem well of course they seem tight I mean we know that because we know the farming industry struggles yeah, and it must be much harder really on a small tough. scale it is it is and it isn't um I think when you um, are a commercial farmer you have economies of scale um, you have so much big machinery and things to help you obviously vaccinations and all those sorts of things it's you know it the, the sort of cost per, per animal is much cheaper 
Um, but then you're generally selling at market, which you're not getting the best prices for. And certainly we found, being small holders, that the best way of doing it is to sell direct to the consumer and cut out the middleman. Definitely. Yeah. And what about the pigs? Now, when we first arrived, we met some pigs. Yeah. Are the pigs still there? Yes. Snap, crackle and pop are still with <laughs> us, but uh, within hours, I'm afraid, they'll be making their final journey. Oh. Um which, yeah, it's, it's sad. But, you know, we knew when they came in the spring, we always have them from the spring to the autumn, um, that that's what was going to happen. We tried overwintering pigs. It never really works brilliantly well. Um, and they've had a really superb life, actually. I, I feel, you know, they, they've been able to, um, you know, run around. Really, they're quite big enclosure. It's huge, isn't it? Um, yeah. Root around, exhibit all the normal behaviours, like chewing all the trees and uh, generally causing chaos. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's getting time now. How does it change your um, attitude towards the food that you eat, particularly the meat, the fact that you've known the animal? Because for me, so I grew up on a small holding, um, and when I was about 14, I decided I'd had enough of eating them. And I had a conversation with my mum that said, look, I don't want to eat our animals anymore. I have bottle-fed some of the lambs. I've gone out and collected the the eggs in the morning I've done you know the, all the stuff that you do with the animals I've been involved in and they they feel like pets to me I don't want to eat them and her response was well that's fine but then I'm not going to buy supermarket meat for you if you're not going to eat our animals you're not yeah. going to eat any yeah and so that's when I became vegetarian yeah um is that is there any of that for you because my parents had a different attitude which was we'll only eat our own meat and yes. we'll enjoy it so um probably one of the biggest influences on me deciding to have a small holding is that in fact all of my friends bar one is vegetarian and I was finding it increasingly difficult I suppose to justify why I continue to eat meat um, and so really that that was why I wanted to have the small holding because I thought it was the only way I absolutely know the life that those pigs have had or those sheep have had and and I have to say from a welfare point of view I think pigs have a really rough deal in the commercial industry um in commercial farming generally um sheep not so much but it's ridiculous that we're importing lamb from New Zealand um the quality of beef we don't do beef but we do buy locally reared beef that's reared in our village and it is just a whole different ball game to what you buy in the supermarket and certainly i think the quality of the meat we produce is far superior to what we'd be able to buy um and just just knowing that the ethics of it all makes it um so much easier for me to um balance that that sort of slight um it's like battle I have in my mind about eating meat. I have to say, I have come close to becoming vegetarian because you do get very attached to your animals. Um, and, and it's something I think you really need to consider, actually. Mm. Um, there's, but there is ways of doing small holding. So, for instance, buying um, wieners. So you, they come in the spring, they go in the autumn. Um, or buying um, sheep, uh, what are called store lambs, which um, you're sort of just rearing them on once they're quite a really good, quite a good size already to, to really when well, they're ready to go off. Um, certainly, I think that makes there a certain detachment. It's not like um, you know you've helped deliver them and um, you know you've helped rear them and bottle feed them and all those sorts of things. As you know, there is a certain special sheep who was <laughs> bottle reared two years ago. Oh, lovely George! Uh, he's still here and. <laughs> um, yes, uh, they do become pets, and and when you know it's difficult to cross that line with some of them. Certainly, mm -hmm. I find taking any animal from alive to dead and being involved in the butchery very very difficult, and I am very grateful to be able to pass that on to somebody else to do. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Do you think it's possible to? Um, so our plan is to try to keep animals that you don't have to butcher in order to get yeah. the some some product out yep. of them so like the chickens yeah um although obviously they do come to the end of their laying at a certain point and i think i'll cross that bridge when we come yeah, to it yeah, definitely. um but you know for instance alpacas that it can be for the fiber and for the breeding and, and our view and you know people might think that this is hypocritical but i don't have a problem with people eating meat i just don't personally want to so i don't have a problem with selling animals on that maybe are going to yeah. then be used for meat i, I just don't want I to do that i think it's myself. a great attitude to have actually because um i think we have to uh, as small holders whether you're vegetarian or not um 
you once you're passing your animals on to other people you no longer have a say in how they're kept um, there was a farmer very recently who very famously decided not to send his beef animals to slaughter and uh, sort of donated them to charity now of course there was a cost involved to him but actually the ongoing cost of keeping those animals is a million pounds now he's not providing that somebody yeah. else is and th there's some really interesting ethics involved actually uh, when, once you get into that kind of thing and I think uh, once you sell your animals you are no longer in a position to, to dictate how they are how long are they alive for or so on and certainly um, within um, animal rescue centres they are awash with Kuni Kuni pigs for instance who owners have said, well, we don't want the meat, and, but we don't want to care for them ourselves. Mm. And, and, and I personally have a bit of an issue with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll have to think really carefully about our animals, how we can, because the animals for me is such a big part of it. Yeah. I love growing the veg and the fruit and all of that, but, but actually to have... the carrot. <laughs> no, you can't, you can't. It's so nice, isn't it, in the morning to, to go out and to see your animals and Definitely. to be to have, to, to, to take care of them and do the work with them, do the jobs that they need. Um, but then there just has got to be a financial, uh, it has to make sense financially. Otherwise, you just have a very big group of pets. Uh, yes. Very expensive pets. Yeah. <laughs> and, and people uh, run their small holdings all in different ways. So there's some people who really, um, you know, they have a blank check. You, um, whatever the vet fees are, whatever the costs of the housing and the fencing are, nothing is too good and they will pay whatever it takes to keep the animals in the way they want to and and if you're in a position to be able to do that that's wonderful I don't think that's reality for most of us most smallholders I've met have the attitude that they would like the smallholding to pay for itself and I think that's a really healthy sensible attitude to have some people do make an income from their smallholdings a considerable one um, and actually, uh, one of the knock-on effects of our small holding, which we hadn't considered originally, was that obviously from our holiday let, we're able to take people to visit the, uh, the animals on small holding and to help people understand where meat comes from, how um, our animals are reared compared to maybe a more commercial enterprise. Um, and that's been really powerful. Um, so if actually that alone has made our small holding incredibly commercially viable. Yeah. So. Talk to me then about a typical day then. So how, because again, the other idea that we have about people that live on farms or, or, or smallholders is, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a very early start. You have to get up and, you know, mm -hmm. start dealing with animals and you're kind of busy on, on the smallholding all day. What, what does it, what's a typical day like for you? <clears throat> I think um, people do have that kind of attitude um, and feel that that's probably the reality um, for myself. My husband works full time, works incredibly long hours and actually as I'm very de dedicated to my small holding but I'm also very dedicated to my children and actually the first thing in the morning what the needs of my children override the needs of my animals. So we have quite an early start so we're um, generally um, up sort of 6.37 um, everybody's dropped off at school for the bus or at school by 8 um, and then I get into doing my jobs then um, what I tend to find is if I try and do anything earlier then our youngest um, quite often also wakes up and then she wants to come with me or she wants to hang around and then there's no one awake to look after her so just for me I've found that's the formula that works best for us ideally I suppose it would be great if I could see to all my animals earlier than that but also my small holding isn't here on site at my actual house it's um, from borrowed bits of land all over the village and I have to get in the car and drive around and see to all of those so you have to do what works for you yeah yeah I think that's really important because I think when people picture that lifestyle mm -hmm. they do picture it in the most idealized form you know a house in the countryside surrounded by their own fields yeah. and that's that's the picture and that they will have all the time in the world to just get up and kind of potter about and do you know and make them bread in the meantime and so, you know all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff yeah. and actually the reality is there are four children yeah. and there's normal things to do in the house I mean one of the things I've learned from our travels is even when you don't have a house you still need to do laundry and you still need to wash you know up. wash yeah. up and there's all the kind of everyday thing go to Definitely. the supermarket it's all everyday things so there's all of that as well um and then there's this land bit and you know we 
we've been very fortunate to get something that's got the land with it but when we wandered around your your place a couple of weeks ago I thought this is this would be fine actually I thought this wouldn't work but this this would be fine to have it in different pockets if, yeah. if this is the only way we can make it happen and and this I think was our frustration when originally we had the idea I mean we I think we'd wanted a small holding for a long time we kept thinking we would move and try and find something the reality is if you're buying a house with land attached the value of that land is extortionate mm. <laughs> um it really is expensive and um sometimes to make your dream happen you just have to come at it from a different angle and so obviously we knew the people opposite had um the the land for the sheep um and in fact that that came on slightly later because what we originally started with is some friends down the road who knew a lot of people in the village particularly people who had little pockets of land and actually we originally were looking for a bit of an area for some quail um which obviously was an actual extension of the chicken business and um, they said, oh, we've got some woodland, you can put some quail in. So we went to see the woods, and actually when we saw them, we realised it was never going to work with quail. But then I knew they had this bit of woodland spare, and, and so I was kind of, again, sort of thinking, actually, which animal would fit the space as opposed to sort of trying to do it the other way around. And had the idea of pigs. Unbeknownst to me, um, the, the, the gentleman in the couple had always wanted pigs, and his wife said, over my dead body, you never <laughs> have pigs. So, um, I mean, he, he just thought his, his moment had come and was so excited because he works abroad, so it's really difficult for him to do it. Uh, and it just worked perfectly, and we've had pigs there every year for four years now, and it's just been hugely popular. Not only with, uh, we've loved it, they have loved it as well, but also there's a public footpath that goes past, so everybody makes a detour with the dogs. Um, uh, to say hi to the pigs which has been great and consequently they're probably the most socialized pigs in uh, all of Somerset I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I really like that you know th- this I think we can get really um limited by thinking it has to be a certain way and in fact that's exactly where I thought I couldn't do this because I thought well I can't afford yeah. one of those houses with that land I, I, I run my own business um, no one's going to give me a mortgage of that scale and anyway I don't want to have that kind of mortgage mm-hmm. hanging over me and so, and then I wouldn't have the time to do the thing yeah, because I'd be working kind of, so it's hard it's a to make irony money. isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so it just wasn't going to work so I thought it wasn't an option and then I realized well I could what if we rent that there just isn't the same outlay there isn't the same complexity and you're not looking at these kind of half million pound houses starting point for anything with land um and so you know the the house on the place that 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 we're having is really small and we we've compromised on that as well we've thought what's more important is it the country living home you know that they can come and take photos or is it a little house that's fine for me and the dogs and Ivy, and but it's got the land. Compromise, I think. Compromise, compromise. compromise. Is the golden word. Yeah. And yeah. I think if if you uh, decide you're going to have this country living home with these beautiful acres and this lovely vista and all the rest of it, you may be waiting your entire life. And mm. I I don't know whether um, I was approaching the big four O, but I sort of had this kind of moment where I I suppose I just thought you know what what if what if you know my uh, my car gets punched i think when you're in your 20s and 30s you think you'll live forever and then you realize actually this is it this is it this is the moment it's it's not when you retire it's not when you're you know um when you've done this or finished that sometimes you just have to make it happen and um i was determined that it was it was supposed to be a bit of a bucket list thing really that i was going to try and have the attitude that i could die tomorrow with no regrets and and i totally feel like that now i totally feel that if you know I got hit by a bus tomorrow heaven, for, heaven forbid but uh, that, that I would think wow I, I did it I did what I wanted to do and um, that's a really lovely feeling actually yeah yeah it's completely the same attitude that I have and I think a lot of people who are listening to this have which, which is all around you know if am I really living my life now yeah and if I'm not really living it is there a way I can put it together so that so that I can in some form rather than like you say waiting until everything is perfectly aligned by which time you know y- you might not be able to enjoy it it might it might you might not be here yeah. or there might something else might have happened that means that that's not the right time for yeah. it, it, it now's the only moment you know about so you better go for it now and, and when we first started I mean you know the bits of land we have now there, I mean there were other bits which have been and gone you know there was a bit by river which you know was fantastic and got us out of a hole when we lo- when we ran out of grazing for a pony we had um, 
and we were there for a few years and loved it and it was a very kind of communal space and it was brilliant but you know it flooded twice this spring and we decided to let it go and um we very bravely really decided to ask in the parish news so we basically put a shout out saying look has anybody got a little bit of land that they're not using and um somebody messaged back oh you know and they had this really tiny slither and it just wasn't for what right for what we needed at that time and as luck would have it the um the people on the parish news team ran it a second month the advert without realizing mm. and it was only then that actually the person who saw it who gave us the the main piece of land which our business is now run from saw it and uh, which is fantastic so we've now got a five-year lease on this piece of land and and it's just changed everything for us mm. um certainly in terms of of the chickens and you know sadly our in some respects our small holding is kind of reducing in terms of the the larger animals um as our chicken business takes over but certainly in terms of the lifestyle that gives me it means i'm around to pick my children take my children to school I'm here to pick them up if they're ill I don't have any worries um, if I need to take a day off or for instance we've got the Rare Breed Survival Trust sale once a year it's um, in uh, Bridgewater on Thursday and I can take the day off I don't have to ask anyone for the day off I can go sort the kids out sort my animals out and we're often going to do that for the day so the flexibility that I still get from it is fantastic and we'll still be selling produce so of course we have the eggs which is great and certainly I think people underestimate actually um, how much of an income you can have from eggs and, and it's one of those it sort of trickles along uh, and then you add it up over and you think wow blimey that's it. it's quite considerable um, also the apple juice is something we do as well which mm. has been a huge thing the last two years um, and it's just growing and growing and being really busy um, obviously the jams and chutneys and pickles and we're very lucky that where we live we have a lot of uh, through traffic so a lot of people in the village um, know to come and get their eggs and bits and pieces from us and, and that in itself has given us a lovely little income yeah. the kind of you know farm gate sales thing yeah I mean we we spent about 20 pounds yesterday <laughs> on some <laughs> eggs and jams and then we saw you put some pickles out so we took those as well mm-hmm. and quite a couple of bottles of drinks um no and and we had the jam we had one of the jams last night i think it was the black black current blackberry and apple yeah it was absolutely fantastic oh, absolutely mm-hmm. delicious so yeah and and so where so we talked about the morning kids off to school yeah. come back chickens out animals so, watered. so basically i mean when you take an animal um, and you decide that you're going to care for it, you have complete responsibility. So obviously, you know, that animal's got to be fenced, it's got to be housed. Um, um, obviously the sheep, they have a field shelter, they can go in and out as they like, the pigs the same, but the chickens, it's not the same. You know, we have to protect them from predators, so they have to be locked up every night, let out every morning. Um, obviously all the food and water needs to be sorted, they have to, all their sort of bedding needs to be clean. Uh, so generally what I will do is the first hour, I literally just whiz around everybody and just make sure they're out, they're free, <laughs> they've got food and water and get sort of started for the day. Um, then quite often I'll come home and do some houseworky type stuff so um, the pile next to the dishwasher will be considerable <laughs> and uh, get that started. Quite often that's when I'll have breakfast actually because it's usually been pretty mad that the whole morning that I've not actually had a chance to do that. Um, also sort of check email so the, our sort of route to market mostly is through uh, the internet so through Facebook, through pre-loved uh, various different websites and things and we get lots of inquiries so I'll probably deal with all those um, and then then I'll probably go back out so if there's a coop that needs cleaning out or um, for instance I don't know uh, um, some spraying on some sheep or something that needs doing I'll go off and do that um, come back wolf down a bit of lunch um, usually a bit more housework <laughs> something else tidying <laughs> up there's always a heap of washing that needs doing uh, supermarket run all these kind of things all the very boring monotony mm-hmm. and it certainly isn't all um making scones and making jam all the time and it's lovely when it is and certainly the autumn's my favorite time of year for that because you do get to do all that kind of foraging and making all the jams and chutneys but it's really manically busy as well so um it really varies your day is never the same um unfortunately there's all the boring stuff that has to be done over and over again and cleaning the bathroom and all that kind of thing but um <laughs> making sure you've got Lou wrong <laughs> there's uh, yeah, and, and it can be as varied as you like, and, and that's what I like about it, that actually I can think, oh, yeah, you know, for instance, somebody's quince tree fell over, and he said, oh, Libby, it just breaks my heart to see all these quinces lying on the ground, and you think, wait, great, quince mm-hmm. jelly, so, you know, that's the next project for the next few days. And, yeah. 
Uh, yesterday I had my goddaughter here, so we went and picked a load of plums and made some plum jam, so it's nice. So you do get these idyllic little moments, mm-hmm. and uh, I must admit, seeing my goddaughter, her sister and my daughter all frolicking about in the orchard yesterday was uh, was lovely. Yeah, oh yeah, sounds great. Now let's talk for a minute about poo. Okay, yes. Yes, let's. because... Um, <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm pretty au fait with poo. Yeah. Um, I grew up with poo on my shoes, yeah. you know, from having all the animals. Um, but it is the sort... And you just mentioned about some of the jobs that require doing around the place. I wonder if people realise just how mucky <laughs> it can be. I mean, I remember my mum always had some sort of poo on her face <laughs> from where she'd wiped her brow or something yeah. and a piece of straw. Yeah, just yeah. that's the way she looked the whole time I was growing up. Do you, do you think people, I don't want to specifically talk about the, the poo side, but do you, do you think that people understand the the hard work bit and the the getting your hands dirty bit when they picture that lifestyle? I don't think they do, actually. Um, <laughs> your wardrobe becomes very, um, you, you look like you were just sort of dressed by Mountain Warehouse towards... <laughs> To be honest, when you've been doing this for a while, so sort of leggings a year ago, really, and a, a fleecy jumper, a lot of T-shirts, and everything has holes um, and stains that nobody can really remember what they are. Um, you have a, a random selection of wellies for every different temperature. Uh, likewise, a, a good selection of jackets um, and gloves. You never realise how many different gloves you needed. But, um, yeah, it's it certainly can be really hard work sometimes. Um, obviously, we have a stonkingly hot summer, which has been brilliant would have been more brilliant if I could have spent the whole time in a paddling pool but actually you have to go out your the water needs of your animals is greater uh, we did try and grow a lot of our own fruit and vegetables this year which was really tough with the lack of water so just managing water when it's hot and actually just working in that heat can be really hard work we had uh, the new field we've taken on is covered in thistles um, and if you're trying to do everything sort of as organically as you can then that involves a lot more toil Uh, it's certainly a lot easier to be spraying things but that's the way it is and the winter is long and it's cold and it's wet and certainly um I've got a very grumpy picture of myself on Facebook having trudged the mile from our house, which doesn't sound a lot a mile, but trust me, a mile in the snow mm. when you can't then take the car out and you're having to pull a trolley of water because you've got no water that's not frozen down at the field um, is, is hard work. And basically by the time I trudged that mile, let the ducks out, fed them, gave them this water, which obviously was the only water we had, which didn't have ice covering it. Um, and the mile back, that took me from the morning until lunchtime so yeah when the weather is pretty bad it's bad and, and actually it doesn't really matter how ill you are or how crap the weather is whether it's really hot or really cold you do have to go and do it you've taken responsibility for these animals and it is every single day and and I think that can be difficult it's, it's really like having extra kids you know it's it's that sort of level of commitment um, there are some people however who do get a break and they get farm sitters in and you can get farm sitters so, but there is a cost attached to that, and I have to say, we went away for the first time in about six years at Christmas. We went to Scotland for Christmas, and uh, after about five days, I literally wept because I was missing my animals so much. So, um, yeah, it's possible, but I have to say, when you live the lifestyle that you have, sometimes you don't actually want to go away. Um, because you have to try and find somewhere that's more beautiful, more lovely than what you're doing at the moment, and that can be hard. Yeah, yeah. So tell me then about, um, I mean, you touched on it there, but obviously the, there are tough times and, and yeah. moments where you think it's not working or it's, it's gone wrong. Yeah. Were, were there any moments where, you, where you've had regrets or you've thought this just isn't working this way? Oh, so many, so many. And sometimes, um, but what I would always say is, um, it, Yes, some bad thing might have happened, but it's a lesson. And, you know, you have to just pick yourself and dust yourself off. We bought some chickens from somebody, this is many years ago, probably about eight years ago now, um, and they had a disease called Mycoplasma galicepticum. It infected our entire flock. We had to cull about 60 birds, and it broke my heart. Um, and, you know, at that point I said, I'm never selling chickens again. And, in fact, we did take a year off of selling hens because uh, we wanted to make sure everything was totally decontaminated and and then I think at that time I, we decided we weren't going to be selling chickens anymore but then you know you you kind of you learn your lesson and, and you come back and um, certainly for me buying poultry from auction has never ended brilliantly um, so uh, 
a good lesson. Sheep are difficult. Sheep look so easy. They just look like clouds in a field. But my God, they're so tricky. Some, so many things can go wrong with sheep. Um, they have a death wish, I think. They, they do, yeah. yeah. So um, electric fencing and sheep, um, I've never managed to get to work very well. Um, and, and I think it's easy sometimes a smallholder to take a few shortcuts and think, oh, that would be okay. And it generally isn't. So, yeah. Um, yeah, sheep, sheep can be tough, and, and certainly when we bottle rid um, the sheep, you know, the outcomes of those sheep is generally bad mm. anyway. There's, these are sheep where the mum's had more babies than she can cope with, the farmer will take the weakest one and sell it. Mm. Uh, and probably only half of those made it to adulthood, and, and actually, when that's your first experience of keeping sheep, it's really disheartening. Um, but I suppose you just have to learn your lessons and and move on really um if you it's tempting to want to give up and to think i'm no good at this and actually it's one thing that really frustrates me sometimes about um the um sort of british hen welfare trust these kind of things is that people as a nation we're so great and wanting to save animals and and love them and nurture them and i think as a nation we do it really really well um but sadly some people who do adopt these birds um end up with birds that really have had a really tough life and actually with the best care in the world they've never come right and then they think that they're not very good at keeping hens and they are it's just that they had quite tough hens to begin with and and it can be sad sometimes when you hear people have have had um, tough journeys um you know we we did meat birds uh which actually was really successful but i have to say for me taking an animal from alive to dead and then butchering it was more than i felt comfortable with yeah, that for me, so, you know, um, the sheep we would take to um, to the abattoir. Yeah. So we would, they, when they left us, they were alive. Um, and all the big animals, we did that. Um, but the poultry, yeah. my dad did himself. And then the rest of the the afternoon or whatever it was, was plucking and gutting and, mm-hmm. you know, dressing. And it was really that that made me decide I can't do <laughs> this. I can't see that that beautiful goose twitching still while we're pulling out the yeah the feathers so it's just really really tough and and what people forget about when uh, you're talking about butchering um your own livestock which with poultry it just really isn't cost effective Mm. to send it off is that when you're handling meat from a supermarket it's been refrigerated and it's Mm. cold and it feels Mm. very different you know if i touch you now Mm. blow you're warm Mm. because that's Mm. you're alive and and, um and when you're touching meat that you've bought it's cold but Mm. obviously when you're touching meat from your livestock it's still warm mm. when when you're doing that and that feels very weird mm. um and for me it personally it was it was just a step too far and i have to say i personally didn't enjoy the taste of free range chicken <laughs> I'm, I'm so ashamed to say it i feel awful for saying that I'm you'd much rather the stuff that's probably I, I know i'm a terrible terrible person but that's just the way so it is good. and it's like with the ham you know i have to say we we do eat all our own pork uh, all our own sausages, but the children, we've never managed to wean them off supermarket ham, and I do feel bad. I do feel bad. <laughs> but, um, and, and I, th- I think actually, to, sort of just accepting what works and what doesn't, mm. you know, um, I'm amazing at growing courgettes, that, and I own that, that's brilliant. I'm absolutely rubbish at tomatoes, and I'd love to be great at growing tomatoes, but it's, it's just not my thing, and, and sometimes, um, not so much about it's not about giving up it's it's a, there's so many aspects of small holding so many and there's bees and there's um obviously you know everything you can do with fleeces i mean and weaving and knitting all these sorts of things and, and some things you just find you have a natural um ability at and some things you don't and um, while i'm sort of saying never give up i'm also saying try lots of things and certainly in our first year when we had a small holding we did turkeys we did ducks we did meat chickens we did lame chickens we did sheep we did pigs uh we had a pony we had little goats we we tried everything and and i think there's a lot to be said for that and then finding what works for you mm-hmm. so the plan is that uh about three weeks from now we move into our place um we i mean it seems to me like the most important thing i've read all the small holding magazines underneath the bunk bed. Oh, yes, the, yes. In, in the Airbnb. I read them all. And it seems like fencing is fencing, the most fencing, important fencing, thing. Fencing. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Oh my god, fencing. Um, and and uh, yeah, fencing make good fencing makes good neighbours. It's so true. Fencing is important for so many reasons. It keeps your animals where you want them to be and other animals out. Mm. Um, and certainly with chickens, you've kind of got both those things going on. So I need my chickens to be pretty much where I left them, and I need uh, Mr. Fox and Mr. Badger to leave them well alone. So um, yes, you, you need. It's it's well worth having uh, good long chats with people about fencing and about what kind of thing you need um i've never ever regretted the money i've spent on proper stock fencing uh it's yeah. just been a lifesaver and for instance we've got some pigs up at the new fields that we've got at the moment uh we spent over a thousand pounds stock fencing that this year which was really hard at the time you know it you can't eat fencing you know <laughs> it's yeah. not particularly attractive or, or anything but um it's hard to see the benefit of that thousand pounds uh you also can't take it with you when you move you know it's um it's it seems kind of lost money but um when the pigs escaped from the electric fencing we put them in but we knew we had this amazing stock fencing it was such a relief to know that actually they were safe mm. Yeah, I think that's going to be our first job. And as you say, it's not the most fun thing. No. Ivy wants to just go and get some chickens. Yeah. But there's no, I mean, it's right on the edge of, of the town and it's just open countryside and they will be eaten straight away. I mean, okay. they will just go. So, um, which will be awful for us. Will be awful anyway for anybody so yeah so fencing is number one then what the absolute number one um i think having a bit of a plan so um sometimes living with the space a little bit um just kind of seeing what grows where um so for instance um orchards uh, don't work brilliantly well with pigs in my experience <laughs> pigs like chew trees um but there are certain sheep for instance mm. that um that actually don't eat trees the shropshire for instance is a breed that doesn't eat trees so um that for instance might work quite well so i think having a bit of a plan of where you want everything to go and and being realistic of how much time you have mm. um if you're serious about growing i think a polytunnel isn't the best investment you could make and not only does it give you somewhere very sheltered to grow tomatoes, and I have to say my polytunnel <laughs> is halfway built now, and I, I hope to finally master the tomato. Um, but actually, when it's very cold and wet and horrible, it just gives you a real safe haven of kind mm. of being out of the house, yeah. but still being warm and dry. So I just think uh, a polytunnel would, would be personally my, my next um, essential. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose after that... Um, yeah just deciding kind of what animals you want to and getting good stock um some people choose to buy auction and find that's very successful um personally i really like to buy through people i've met on facebook um i find it's really good uh pre-loved is also very good and i like to have a lot of conversations with people um about their animals and have quite a chit chat before i commit to buying and i think it's really important to see what after sales kind of service you get if you like and what sort of support um, and of course there's the smallholders association so pretty much every county has one and the advice they can give you and the support they can give you is amazing it's kind of good having a farmer friend but i just find the scale and, and the what they're trying to get out of their animals is a very different thing to smallholders so um yeah um so maybe maybe before fencing even i'd say seriously join a smallholders association. actually i just did i just yeah. joined the uh, somerset smallholders association. yeah so yeah, it's, yeah we're, we're, a, we're a friendly crazy bunch <laughs> and um yeah and, and it's great because you get lots of access to free courses um we've got a facebook group which is great and it's just lovely you know you can put funny little pictures of weird things you found on your sheep and go guys what's this what yeah. do i do or or you know if your chicken's got a strange lump somewhere or you know you want to know things about abattoirs or why your tomatoes aren't growing all sort of things it's just so lovely to have that community of people and, and there's you know there's the wider community particularly on social media which is really really helpful yeah and, uh, i mean i'm just uh, when i was growing up of course there was no internet i can't imagine what difference that would have made to my mum to oh, to have access to that community and to be able to ask those kind of questions um, and the other thing is that small holding could be quite isolating actually because you're living and working in your own bubble mm. um, and uh, sometimes you get to the feed store and you're just desperate for a conversation with somebody. <laughs> someone talk to me <laughs> yeah it uh, can get a bit mad sometimes um, interestingly uh, we had uh, somebody come and volunteer for us and uh, she 
uh, also had the plan that she wanted to have a small holding and um, she was from London, very sociable lady and she was lovely and um, I said well you know I'd just really love to have the small holding all in one place because then I wouldn't have all this driving around and faffing about she said Libby if you did that you realize you wouldn't see anybody don't you and I was like oh my god yeah mm-hmm. she said seriously you must have said hello to 20 people while we've been traipsing around today and I was like yeah she said you know you'd really miss that and I thought it's so true it's so true and I think that's possibly one disadvantage of having the land with the house is is it can be sometimes you can just get a little bit in your own zone a bit too mm-hmm. much and and uh, that that can just yeah feel a little bit lonely yeah 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 I mean there were definitely days um so even after I moved away from home my parents still had their small holding until quite recently and so when they went on holiday I would go mm. and look after it and there there would be I mean not just days uh, uh, maybe a week where I didn't even really leave yeah. the property and you do go a bit mental yeah. you know you haven't talked to anyone it's just you that's beautiful I mean my favorite thing mm. was in the summer the the last time I did it before they moved um and watering the garden in the evening and you know the sort of rainbows yeah. that created by the sprinkler and mm. all of that kind of thing absolutely fantastic but I did go a bit mad yeah yeah so, <laughs> it was I, only yeah, a week you really do and, and it's a bit like when you work from home I think you know you you can find yourself um yeah, a bit socialisation. Mm. Particularly, but around here, it's great. Um, because we'll see we have the box at the end of the drive, that's great. Mm. Lots of people stop and chat to us there. Um, we do get to meet lots of customers, which is wonderful as well. But, you know, making time to, to actually have time away from the small holding. And we're lucky we've got a fantastic comedy club, which runs uh, once a month. So we do that. And, um, yeah, there's various kind of groups and things that, that we're involved with. And it's really important, actually just to have a bit of time away from it all because, uh, yeah, you just can get a bit obsessive about it, I think. So if there's, just just to finish up, I mean, I am, I know from the trip that we've just taken that it, I cannot be realistic about it before I'm actually there. I'm going to have an idealised, romanticised view. Just, that's the way it is. And I'm not going to really be able to get my head around what we've undertaken until we're there and I'm having a tough day and I go okay this is what Libby was talking about (laughs) the the, the second see is definitely it's the only way and I think if somebody with who who hasn't who who's already lived you know been brought up in a small holding feels but it was a long time ago when I was a child and so uh, again my mum took care of a lot of stuff that I didn't really have to take responsibility for yeah it's 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 um almost the the I wouldn't say the best and the worst journey. It's one of the, probably the best journey I've ever taken. It's the journey that's taught me the most. Um, what I love about it is I'm constantly surrounded by like-minded people. So the people who stay with us in the holiday let. It's very, very rare that I meet somebody who I don't feel um, that we have something in common with. Um, you know, you the people you, you know, the customers you meet uh, through the chickens, the people who we sell products to, are all people who you feel you have something in common with and who are very passionate about the same thing. And it's it's really lovely. And, and sometimes I think when people feel the world is such a hopeless place and, and it's all going so horribly wrong, it's not, it's certainly not my experience. It's um, my experience is that people do care. Um, you know, people love animals. People are taking more responsibility for their water usage, where their food comes from, not using chemicals, um, food miles, all these kind of things. You know, I just see personally it getting better and better. Um, and whether uh, the small holding world kind of informs, you know, bigger bigger schemes and, and bigger farming, who, who knows? But, um, you know, I think the future's really bright. I really do. Um, and that's not to say that we won't make lots more mistakes and try lots more things <laughs> and get it all wrong again. But, um, yeah, I'm very positive that, that you know, our small holding journey is still very much in its infancy and there'll be lots more chapters to go. Thank you so much. This has been so helpful. Will, will you stay in touch with me and help me? Of course I will. Of course I will. <laughs> small holder friend <laughs> I think it's going to be so important yeah it's 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 um oh I, I think the friends that you make uh, you know I'm I'm faced now with uh, one of my dearest friends who is 
a dear friend, but also enormously helpful and practical with the small holding, possibly moving back to Essex. And I'm just like, no, don't go. Mm. Because actually having friends who not only can advise you about stuff, but literally stand and, you know, hold that um, pig while you're putting an ear tag in or, or help you you know, treat your sheep for fly strike and all those sorts of things, you know, um, sort of run around chasing goats around a field. Um, you know, those those friends are really important, actually. You do you do need those practical ones. <laughs> Good. Well, I've got your number. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Right. <laughs> you can go, help, help. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to You're you. You're welcome. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs> oh, it started feeling very real about halfway during that interview for me. But as I said, it's impossible for me not to have a romantic view at this stage. This is the point as you're standing on the threshold for adventure where everything just feels like it's going to be wonderful and beautiful and there's nothing that anyone can say to you about the realities that really makes you feel any other way. So there we go. The rubber will hit the road in a few weeks' time, I'm sure. You can find out more about Libby and her chickens at Ham Street Hens on Facebook. The link is in the show notes. Do check her page out. And if you're in the market for chickens, I can guarantee that these ones have had a great start in life. More big news. We are launching a new online coaching program this week. Yes, it's live. It's happening. The 19th of September, a brilliant gamble online goes live. This is a self-paced program of videos and exercises that I've created based on my experiences over the last six months and, of course, the last 20 years that takes you through all the steps from deciding what your brilliant gamble is going to be, what is the life that you want, to working out how to make it happen, how all the different pieces of your life are going to fit together, to taking the action steps. There's a lot of personal development in the program as well. That's actually the most important bit, really. There's there's the practical things, the roadmap and the taking of the actions, but really it's the work on needs, values, flow versus force, hero's journey, principles and practices and dealing with all that inner chit chat that's the most important stuff and that's the stuff that I learned on the road. I'm so so happy to be able to bring it to you right now. So if you're listening to this before launch you can register interest now and if you're listening after launch you can sign up. We've been testing out these materials for the last few months and the feedback has been exceptional. I've really been blown away by the stories that people have been sharing with me about what they've got from the videos and doing the exercises and how their life is changing. So I'm very, very confident that this can help you turn your dreams from something you talk about and think about to something you actually do. So go to abrilliantgamble.com and click on the classes and coaching page and all the information is there. I'm so excited to share this with you and I can't wait to start hearing about what you've been doing in your own life and how things are changing for you as a result of taking this opportunity and signing up to the programme. You can stay in touch with us at A Brilliant Gamble via Instagram and Twitter at Brilliant Gamble. You can go to the website, you can drop us a line on email. Please do stay in touch and if you're thinking maybe now's the time for me to start making some changes, then please do go and check out that Brilliant Gamble online program. This could be the moment for you. Back again next week from Ireland, but in the meantime, with all the information about how to get in touch with us, here's the lovely and very well-travelled Ivy Palmer. From you, you can get all the episodes of this show plus read the blog and find out more about our travel adventure at www.brilliantgamble.com. Sign up to the newsletter and get an advance notice of the classes and programs Mummy is running. Plus, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Brilliant Gamble. Finally, please leave a review and star rating for this podcast on iTunes as it helps people find us and take a brilliant gamble of their own. Bye!